told me the other day there, there's somebody locally, and I, I don't know who it is, that that reads reads this reads Revelation every week or every month, and they talk about it all. And I'm like, well, it could it could change. Literally, it could it, you could change uh, points of view a lot on that. Um, when and and we've joked about being a pan millennialist, but but in in truth. Uh, the more we read it, the more you have to understand that everything just points to Jesus. That's the answer to all of it. We don't know how the, the outcome, well, let me back up. We know what's going to happen in, in one sense. We know that Jesus, the Lamb, is going to win. Uh, we don't know exactly when all this will unfold because there's good people. I mean, I have good friends on opposite sides of the aisles of this. Some of them are literalists, and then some of them are more metaphorical people. I mean, they're strong and, and about everything else I agree with them on, and they disagree. So one of them has to be wrong. And, and so at the end of the day, I, I don't know how much it matters getting bogged down on certain things, but what, what's important is that we, we do focus on Jesus and that he is victorious in the end, which means those of us that put our faith and trust in him will be as well. So here we are, we're in this, um, we're in chapter 17, we're in this period here, uh, this, as, as Daniel says, this seven years, and this is this final judgment and this, this full tribulation going forth again, depending on, we went back to last week, if you go back, is this, you know, depending on how you read it, is it Jesus is the second coming already come and, and all that, but we know this is the judgment, as, as God unleashed the judgment last week, and the seventh bowl that was poured out of judgment was poured out on all the earth. And it says in 17.1, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Now, the, the word that they use here is, is not the normal word for adultery. It is that word for porneo, which would mean more uh, sexual licentiousness or more, you know, out of control, more recklessness, which would, you know, we would get from prostitute. Uh, but it's, it's really more than a sexual meaning. It really has more of an economic thing and also more just a worldly meaning. As we look at it, it says the prostitute is seated on many waters. And then if you, we're not going to, but if you look over to 15, we'll get there in a minute, it talks about, you know, kind of explains those waters. Uh, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. Now, this passage tonight is, again, it's more really of an economic thing and a worldly thing. And, and it says this great prostitute, and last week we looked at Babylon, and, you know, Babylon's an Old Testament city. Uh, many people... Uh, called Rome the Babylon of the first century. It, signif it signifies many different things. You've got the Tower of Babel and all that, and it goes back to you know man's ways and all those things. And so what, what we see here is that this great prostitute uh, has, has got these earthly kings and they have gotten drunk on her wine of sexual immorality and, and the worldliness. So she has affected these earthly kingdoms, these earthly kings, these earthly nations, and they have fallen for the lie that, that you know, their way is the way that will save them. And that would be the earth or the flesh. 
And unfortunately, there's many people that, that fall into that today. And we, you know, you can do all the isms you want to, materialism and, and all, all these other things. Of course, we wouldn't be probably on Gnosticism today, but uh, all the different things, humanism, and which, you know, focuses on human behavior or human achievement, or anything that takes it away from Christ would be an ism to it and however you would would determine it so anything like that anything that anyone puts their confidence in other than jesus christ is is what this is talking about here they've been led astray by this great prostitute now obviously there is a specific thing here in mind and they talk about the many nations but it's it's easy to see a parallel for any nation and any tribe and any human that that we be led astray by ultimately by the devil, by the dragon, who has, you know, these, however you want to look at it, underlings that work under him. If you read C.S. Lewis and the screw tape letters and Wormwood and all this, there, there's much more than the devil at work. There's many more evil spirits at work in the world that are trying to trip us up. Because remember, the devil is, is not uh, omnipresent like like God is. He can't be everywhere. So he has other underlings, other evil spirits that work at his uh, behest. And so they are all trying their best to trip us up. And that's what's happening. That's what they're talking about here. This great prostitute seated on the many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of those sexual immorality, the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. Now, when you read this, it would be easy to see and think that any time in history when you read this, people have probably read it and go, man, that's happening right now. And it would be easy to say that now. You can say, well, you got America, you got Russia, you got China, you got all, none of these people, no worldly leader hardly that we can think of is walking in the spirit. Most of them are walking in the flesh. They have succumbed to this sexual immorality or this wine of this economic thing that they put their faith and trust in the world to save them. And, and so anybody, you can imagine the first century readers reading this and thinking, well, this, this is us. This is going on now. This is Rome. And, and then 1900, people, you know, were reading this, 1910s, 1950s, and everybody's like, oh, this is happening right now. And there are some that believe it now. And I, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's one of those things. There could be people here a thousand years from now reading that. So verse 3 says, and he carried me away. So he carried John away. The angel carried John away in the spirit into a wilderness. And we've talked about this many times. Is this, did he physically carry John or is it more of a transfiction or a, a vision? Uh, so he carried me away into a wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and 10 horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. Well, here we see this, this woman is arrayed in splendor, if you will. This purple, which is the color of royalty, and this scarlet and is adorned with gold and jewels. Well, this is very symbolic or metaphorical here for this. It is easy for us to get lured into the world's riches or the world's splendor. It is easy for us to look at stuff like, oh man, I've just got to have that vehicle 
or I gotta have that boat or that car or this or that. I gotta have those shoes or I gotta have those clothes because they just, and, and that's the point here. That's why this great prostitute is like this. Just like with anything else, this great prostitute is not poor and haggly and, and ugly and all those things because it doesn't attract to our human nature. And so it says that she has this golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immoralities. And on her forehead was written the name, was written a name of mystery. Now this is, this is interesting here. Uh, when we talk about uh, foreheads, usually the name written on the forehead, it's in your notes here, reveals who they are and the character of them. And, and here this is, you know, the seductive adulteress. Excuse me, remember the mark of the beast is on the forehead and the mark of God's children is there. So that's what is going on here. And you can go all the way back to Deuteronomy where it says to carry this around and the, the Jewish people wore this phylactery on their forehead with the actual law on there. But the word mystery is there. Now, if you, if you will, flip to Daniel 4.9 and let's look at this. Uh, I've already skipped a lot of the Old Testament scripture on accident. Actually, let, let me start. Let me, let me back up and go in order so I don't get ahead of myself. Isaiah 23, 17 says, At the end of 70 years, the Lord will visit Tyre, and she will return to her wages and will prostitute herself with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. And that's really to just give you some background that this is a, a, an economic thing here, talking about prostituting out. So it's an, eco an economic and a worldly thing going on. All right, so now go to Daniel 7, because uh, this, if you go back to verse 3, it's kind of an illusion. And this whole passage really is to Daniel 7. And four great beasts, in verse 3, came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion, had eagle's wings. Then it was, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place there. Then uh, let me just start over. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion, had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, the second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told to rise, devour much flesh. After I looked... And behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth that devoured the, and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now stay in chapter 7 and flip over to verse 20 if you will, and it says, and about the 10 horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than all its companions. Verse 24 says, and for the 10 horns out of the kingdom, 10 kings shall arise and another shall arise from them and he shall be different from the former ones and he shall put down the three kings. So this entire passage here is kind of a, a look back to Daniel chapter 7. Now, if you will go to Daniel chapter 4 verse 9, and this is a little bit different. This is talking about the, the mystery here. And this is Nebuchadnezzar. It says, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. So 
Revelation, John is a lot, it, it pulls a lot from the book of Daniel. This mystery that Daniel's talking about here is this, the handwriting on the wall. And, and so they said, it's a mystery. Can you, can you figure it out? Now here on her forehead was written a name of mystery. One thing we ha also have to understand that this, this life we live, this life of faith, uh, some things we're not going to know, we're not going to understand. And I, I, I believe the entire book of Revelation is like this. We're not going to be able to fully understand it. Some of this is mystery. Some of it God is not ready to reveal to us. It's kind of like our sins. If God revealed all of our sins to us at once, it would crush us. We wouldn't be able to stand it. God can't reveal everything to us at once. That's if you say, well, he has a perfect will for your life. But if he had told me 20 years ago, this is what's going to happen the next 27 years, I'd have been like, whoa, 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 I don't, I don't want this to happen. I don't need this. I'm not ready for that yet. Uh, but when you look back on it, you understand how God grows you and works through grace. And his work is a mystery to us at times. Now, sometimes he does reveal to us what, what is going on, but other times he does not. So it says, Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and of earth's abomination. Babylon in the Old Testament was known for its depravity, just like Rome became known for its depravity in the first century. And that's why a lot of people said, hey, is he talking about Rome here? I've seen people read into this and go, oh, he's, he's talking, about the, talking about the United States or he's talking about the world economic system. And, and again, I, we, we don't know for sure, but it says this. That he's, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And it's in your notes there. Those who, who live as witnesses to Jesus will be persecuted. I mean, it's true. Jesus said that if, if they persecuted me, how much more are they going to persecute you? Now, this particular passage, most scholars agree on this. Again, it's kind of an economic thing when you, when you dive into it. And this would be the form probably of ostracism in the, in the form of persecution for believers. Now, you've seen this the last few years in this country and probably all over the world, but I just haven't done a lot of the research on that. But you remember the cake bakers out in Colorado that refused to do a wedding cake for a homosexual couple and they ended up losing their business, I believe, over that. That would be what this is talking about, the ostracism of this economic worldly system because they are believers of Jesus Christ. And so it goes a step further. It talks about the blood of the saints and that so those that are persecuted, those that have died for the faith, and we see that all throughout history, people like Polycarp and, and so many others that have given their life and many of the disciples of Jesus given their life for the kingdom. And it happens all over the world today. Maybe not so much in this country yet, but all over the world today, you see people or you read people, if you follow the right thing, like Voice of the Martyrs or Open Doors USA or things like that, you see where people lose their lives for the kingdom. So this is this great prostitute that's going on again it's, it's not completely over yet. It's not to the point where final victory is there yet. So they still think they have a chance. And so we see an interesting turn here a little bit. It says, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. And you're thinking, wait a minute, John. You're getting the vision, don't you know? But, so let's, let's read it out. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman 
and the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. So as you see in your notes there, and I'll jot it down for you, John has marveled basically at the system of the world. In other words, he looks at it and goes, I, I see how this works. I see how this makes sense. In other words, he was, he was kind of in awe. And as I put in the notes there, the woman's attire was similar to the uh, bride city of Christ, which could have led John to think that Babylon was not that bad after all. You know, John's looking and vision, he's marveling at it. And he's like, oh, well, you know, I mean, this is not that bad. But then John was rebuked and he was reprimanded. And, and the angel said, let me tell you about this mystery. I will tell you about the mystery of this woman. And you see, that's what the devil does to us. That's what these evil spiritual forces do to us. They lure us into thinking, you're not that bad or this isn't that bad. Just a little bit of this. And the world system isn't that bad. And so John even marveled here. And it says, the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. Now, if you're thinking, I don't really understand that. I had to read that passage like nine times because it's like, well, wait a minute. Is it, is it or is it not or was and is? And, I, and, and so hopefully there's, I think, I, I hope I put it in there. Um, in, in verse eight, the description of the beast is parallel with Jesus and how the beast won't win. All right. Satan appears to have defeated the church, but this is not going to last long before he goes into destruction. The beast will deceive some by appearing to have won. So now, when you think about it like that, think about the beast. It looks like he might have won. He thinks he's got a chance. He has deceived some people. But in the end, he's not going to win. And so the beast that you saw was, he was here, and he is not. He's not going to win and is about to rise from the bottomless pit. But he's going back to destruction. See, Satan doesn't understand that. Verse 9 says, This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Now, here's where the literalists, you know, they might have something to stand on. Rome is basically founded. The fathers, the fathers, the historians and, and scholars say that, that Rome is, has seven hills. It's known for its founding, and it has seven hills in the city. And, and you can look them up. I didn't write them all out for you. But that's, that's where these seven mountains come from. And then, of course, some people think they, they have in mind also with specific emperors here inside of Rome. Some people say not only specific emperors here, but uh, it would be specific kingdoms or rulers. Some people have read Hitler and Stalin into this and all these different world leaders. Again, that... That's up to your interpretation there. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does, he must remain only a little while. Some people say that this is Rome because Domitian was not totally reincarnated Nero, but he was the same as Nero. So that's when it talks about there that five of them have fallen. One was the other, and he is yet to come. So he was just Nero all over again. Um, again, 
I'm sure if you chased enough rabbits, you could make a lot of things fit into their worldly. Depends on if you believe this is metaphorical or if you believe in the literal translation. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth. Uh, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. Now, what what does what does you know what does that mean? Obviously, it it means a short time if you're not a literalist. If it just means that the that Satan is going to rule for a short time before he is is bound. Now. Uh, this goes back again to Daniel chapter 7 uh, where it talks about the seven lambs and horns are and in Daniel 7, 4 through 8 and these, these future kings are going to receive they're going to receive power for one hour now whether that's a short time in history whether that's a few years or if it's literally one hour again that would depend on how you literal you are in your interpretation these are uh, these are of one mind and they hand over their power to the authority of the beast. So these earthly kingdoms, these earthly kings, they, they get this short time and then they hand their power over to the beast. Now, go to Daniel 7, go back to Daniel 7, and this time we'll go to verse 21. We've not read this one yet. And it says, as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. You think, oh, wait a minute. It's going to be a little bit different. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and those who are called, chosen, and faithful. So if you see in your notes there, there's, there's a little bit of difference here. In Daniel, the beast overpowered the saints, but in Revelation, the Lamb overcomes the beast. So we have Daniel 4.37. Flip over to that, if you will. And it says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Well, what is this talking about? Because Nebuchadnezzar had been full of pride, and God put him out, and he was like a wild beast. And his hair grew, and he had long fingernails and talons and he reasoned like a beast but then he humbled himself and God restored him and it parallels this is parallelism inside this literature that's writing and and it goes there with seven I'm sorry with 14b when it talks about that they will make war on the lamb the lamb will conquer them for he is lord of lords and king of kings in Daniel it talks about how the the flesh or the worldly system had won and it appears like that, just like Nebuchadnezzar thought, oh, it's it. But in the end, he says, well, I humble myself and God is able to do whatever he wants. And that's what it will be in the end. It appears that the beast has won. It appears that Satan has won for a time. But in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And an angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitude and nations and language. Fish, did you happen to get that Jeremiah passage? If you didn't, it's no big deal because I threw so much at you. All right, because I didn't even have it thumbed. It says, oh, you who dwell by many waters, rich in treasures, your end has come. 
the thread of your life as cut. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw were the prostitutes seated in the peoples and the multitude and the nation, the language is, is coming to an end. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. All right, so now they're turning on it. This, this political side of the union is turning on the economic side. We had seen earlier where this, this political, you've got church and state all mixed in and economics, and it goes back, if you think about it, it would be very easy in the Middle Ages to read into this, especially when the Pope, we went through all those years where the Pope was so corrupt and it was all about money and the church was mixed in with the state and the money and all this stuff. And it'd be easy if you were living then, if you had a copy of the Bible, most people didn't. If you had a copy of God's word to read it and go, oh, this is happening right now. So we see this going on. Then at the end, it talks about the 10 horns you saw on the beast. They will, they will hate it. They're gonna turn on them. They'll hate the prostitute and they will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. So they, they turn on each other. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose. Isn't that awesome? By being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over kings of the earth. Now, again, most commentators are going to say that she, she represents there in verse 18 the anything of uh, an evil economic empire of the earth and look again you can you can jump into anything you know that it's kind of like that they're trying to get this world the world now on one currency on one thing and but as as we go back to 17 i want us to look at this for God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purposes by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast you see they didn't even know it God had moved their hearts to do this thing. They didn't know it. They thought they're acting on their own. Now, this is, this is what we need to get as we wrap up this chapter. That in the end, God, God reigns. He's in control. Jesus wins. All these people that are fighting against it, they, I mean, it, they're fighting a losing battle. It, it's kind of like this in in politics and you can go back and read the Bible and you can read Cyrus how God used Cyrus Cyrus wasn't a believer but God used him God used Nebuchadnezzar God God can use ungodly people to bring about his will it happens all the time now the 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 difference for us as believers where we get to be a part of his will we get to experience the joy and the satisfaction of being obedient but God is going to win in the end. There's nothing anyone can do about it. And you can fight it all you want to. You can be like the beast and think you're going to get your way and, and you're going to do it your way. But in the end, the lamb wins. Jesus is on his throne in heaven. And, and the woman that you saw is a great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Now, when you read this, when you read this chapter, it's easily, it's, it, would, it would be easy to get discouraged because you read it and you think, man, it's so much going on in the world. I mean, people in Washington, people in wherever, Russia, 
It's like they, they don't have anything godly about them. They're not pursuing Christ. They're not seeking God's will. Everybody, even it seems like inside the church at times, all, all my fellow friends and believers, they're chasing after worldly things. It's like, will this ever end? And, and one day it will. One, one day, and we don't know when, God's going to say, that's it. That's enough. You had a chance to repent. And as First Peter said, God is not slack in his promises. He, he is slow for a reason about bringing about his judgment. And that is so people can repent. So now, when we look at it like that, I, I know Wednesday night crowds are different, but anybody that's listening online or even here that's even halfway thinking that they've never done that, you, you've got to get that right. You, you just never know when this time is up. You never know when God says, that's it, that's the end. It's time, it's over. Satan has had his reign on this earth, but it is over. And it's time for Jesus to come back and put an end to all of this. And as I said Sunday and as I said the other day before that, one day, I mean, everybody's going to confess Jesus is Lord. You either do it on this earth or you do it before the judgment seat of Christ. And then, then it's too late. If you haven't confessed Jesus as Lord before you stand before him, you still will. But the Bible is very clear about that. Every, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But those who did not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ on, on this side of eternity spend an eternity absence of Jesus. But we don't have to. So when we read that, again, good news, it always points to Jesus. Everything in here does. So we're off next week, all right? But then we'll return the week after. We'll be in chapter 18. And we will see the fall of Babylon, and we'll look at, and again, that literal or is it Babylon, what it is. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being good to us. We acknowledge several things that, that your word is, is mystery so many times. We, we don't understand all of it. But there are some things we do understand. We understand we're sinners. We understand it is grace by faith uh, that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible is very clear, then you will save us. And, and that's, that's what your word teaches us that if we repent and turn from our sins, you are faithful to save us. And, and we thank you for that. We thank you that we understand that. Uh, we don't understand everything. We don't understand everything in this book. And again, anyone that says they have it all figured out is mistaken, Father, because no one has this completely figured out. It is mystery. And, and, and we, we, we don't study it to try to figure it all out. We, we do, we read, and, and we do want to study, and we want to learn, but it's always to point us to Jesus because he is the perfecter, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I, my prayer for all of us is that we leave here more like Jesus, more thankful for Jesus, that he has already fought this fight for us and conquered death for us. And may we live life that are pleasing to you, Lord Jesus. For it is in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you.